Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. This should be a really, I think, thoughtful conversation. I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to be spending time with Johnny Key. He joined Strategist Group in March uh, of 2023. He served as Secretary of the Arkansas Department of Education from 19 to 23 and as Commissioner of the Department from 2015 to 2019, overseeing the state's 237 school districts and 18 charter school systems. He was also Vice President for University Relations at the University of Arkansas System from 14 to 15, and he served as a state senator in Arkansas from 2009 to 2014, holding leadership positions including Minority Leader and Chair of the Senate Education Committee, among others. He was a state representative from 2003 to 2008. Johnny, we were saying off air, just talking a little bit about sort of politics and education and some of these tough decisions. Let's talk about for you, why why Strategus right now for you uh, in this time in your career? You've, You've basically sort of checked almost every box I can imagine for somebody who wants to work within a system, support state, uh, processes at the at every level impacting families and kids right and and even those uh, professions that support our state's uh, future in education why strategus why now well it's a great fit because it allows me to continue my work in uh, finding solutions that are, are good for kids uh, you know since my public service began over 20 years ago that's been part of my goal I'm not an educator by training uh, by degree, by profession. Uh, My mother is. She was a 31-year teacher, uh, elementary school, mainly kindergarten, first grade. Uh, My wife and I had child care centers uh, in north central Arkansas, um, and just that had been part of my public service. And, you know, there's a a lot of people take on different roles in public service. They, they, maybe it's public health, uh, maybe it's uh, budget, finance, um, I came along in the Arkansas General Assembly at a time when we had just uh, concluded a Supreme Court case that said that Arkansas's funding system for education was unconstitutional and, at, and inadequate, and uh, just dove right in. Uh, I was part of the, uh, as, as a Republican, I was in the minority party uh, in 2003. I saw the the shift change that by the time I left the the Senate. I was in the majority party, um, but I saw the challenges remain the same. Yeah, it doesn't, didn't matter what party was in control. And so through the time that I worked for Governor Hutchinson, it, you know, he he wanted me to be creative. He wanted me to push to find things that were good for kids uh, and good for those who were helping kids. Stratagos right now, this time in my career, uh, is a continuation of that work working with great clients, many of whom uh, I had worked with when I was at the Department of Education, and uh, really finding those solutions and connecting those solutions into the schools, into the states where they're needed the most. We live in such a polarizing time, Johnny, and I'm wondering, you know, the debate, you know, in the last, let's say, 20 years has been around this sort of, should we have local control, sort of who should be at the helm when we're trying to understand what is best for our kids and our communities? How do we, is there an effective way to have politics overlay education in a way that is productive, um, inclusive of the community? Because it feels like we're on just such divisive ends. I mean, I was at a 
a soccer tournament with my 10-year-old. We were in Alabama uh, this weekend, and all the dads were talking, and it was interesting how even just over a couple of hours, people were talking about the variability within a given district, within the buildings themselves. And it it makes me wonder just sort of, are we where we've always been, but we're just now becoming aware of the information and sort of what's going on? I mean, where do we fit into this and what responsibility do parents have to participate and activate, or I should say, um, uh, yeah, maybe activate their their advocacy, their role in the conversation to support those that are working at the state and local levels to bring solutions? Because it feels like we're just very disjointed right now. I think it comes down to a matter of trust. Uh, mm-hmm. In the last 50 years, you know, you know my lifetime, you have seen uh, trust in our institutions by the public uh, go down to its lowest levels. I mean, you look at trust in Congress, trust in uh, the presidency, trust in the Supreme Court, uh, just that confidence that we once had as a nation in our revered institutions has really hit a low point. And I think that rightly or wrongly, that mistrust uh, has seeped down into the local level. It's at local government levels. It's it's at the school level. and it's not it's not irreversible you know it's i think it can be changed and and it is changing in a lot of uh, uh, communities but that's you know that's where the politics uh, sometimes in my opinion gets in the way because politics often keeps us from having a conversation or a series of conversations uh, we come at it with uh, our preconceived ideas and this is how we think it should be done rather than with an open mind uh, and an open heart to say, you know, there are great ideas out there. Let's find the best ideas and put them together to do things for our kids. I think you're seeing that right now with uh, just the reading conversation in America. You know, we had a, a, a couple of decades where we had a certain way of teaching reading. And now we look back on the results for those 20 years or 25 years or so, and we find that You know, there are kids who are going to learn how to read and they're going to read well, but then you have a large population of kids that simply have not learned how to read this, the science of reading that we hear so much about now. uh, That is one of those areas that I think there is agreement coming from the right, the left, um, parents, uh, educators uh, that are getting there. So I'm I'm confident and, and, and optimistic that that's just the start. You know, that's the start of uh, a new uh, new opportunities to find other ways that we can uh, agree. We can rebuild that trust. And maybe this time, instead of uh, trust in our nation being rebuilt uh, or built from the top down, that is something that can be built from the grassroots up. And one of those elements in that grassroots effort would be the local school board. How has the school board changed just over the last 20 years from your perspective? Because it feels like it was something that as a community you would, in, I mean, this I'll say this, but it's like I think people would sort of just take it for granted. It's there. It operates. It serves somewhat of it's like bumper bowling. You know, <laughs> we know we're going to try to knock down the pins at the end. We're just going to grease the wheels a little bit here to make sure that that happens. But that has changed, especially where you and I live here in the southeast much more divisive, uh, where I'm not really sure. I don't know if people actually understand the business of a school board, how it is 
related to the day-to-day activities and why voting matters, uh, why understanding the implications of one vote versus another could have a lasting effect on that generation of students. So talk a little bit about the arc of school boards, if you don't mind. No, that's a great question. Uh, and you're right, you know, school boards, uh, you know, that for the longest time, you know, school boards were kind of that forgotten uh, government agency, a government body. And in, but in most communities, they have oversight of the largest budgets in those communities. That's what people don't understand these budgets, right, Johnny? They just don't understand. They're millions of dollars. And, you know, you know, districts that have budgets that are larger than their their cities that they are in or their counties that they are in. And, and I think, you know, part of uh, all of the different movements, you know, whether you look at Occupy Wall Street, whether you look at Tea Party, whether you, all of those things have built and it is and I think it's created uh, a situation where. People want to know and and they expect transparency. They expect transparency and they woke up one day, you know, we as a society woke up one day, we expected this transparency, but the tools weren't in place to provide that transparency. You know, people don't really want to go and sit hours in a meeting once a month. Uh, or, you know, all those things that that is part of the business of being a, an operating a school, uh, being on a school board. Now, you see more of that now, but it's because it, uh, I think it was a uh, just a, a response to we can't get the information we want. Um, and now, you know, we have tools that are out there that uh, where you can pull up a dashboard. I mean, in Arkansas, we have a dashboard. If you want to see how districts are spending their dollar, their federal dollars that came from the COVID response, you know, there is a website, there is a dashboard, and you can see have they spent 10 percent, have they spent 90 percent, uh, where is that money going? And and it's the same at, at the local level. People want to know, how's my tax dollar being spent? They also want to know what are my kids being taught. Um, it's it's not a situation where um, once or twice a year for a parent teacher conference, it's like there's and it's part of the technology you know that we created. We we have devices in our hand that we carry with us all the time, and when we want to see a sports score, we look at it and we can see it. We can even watch the game. Uh, going on. We can watch March, March Madness. We can watch uh, all, you know, the baseball, uh, uh, Major League Baseball starts this week. I mean, we can watch those things instantaneously. But that hasn't always been available for those huge budgets, for those those curriculum decisions, all those things. And and, and I, we don't do it on purpose. We as people, we don't we we don't decide we want to get angry about something because we can't find it, but we get frustrated because why can we see it over here, but we can't see it on the thing that means the most to our kids, and that's their education. Where does the professional learning come in, Johnny, when it comes to community relations? Because it feels like you're sort of in this no-win proposition, whether you're in a school board or you're at the state level like you were, because COVID hits and all of a sudden parents start to turn their attention to what is going on right in front of their faces with their children. Then they want to start to participate. They start asking questions. And yet you st- you see sort of this, the rub between, let's, let's say, a school board and a community member. And you wonder, are the 
are the school boards or the professional, those, pro those in the professional positions being educated or supported at least from a professional learning on how to communicate in such um, a fluid situation, right? We've got in the Southeast, there are a lot of book banning challenges. I get these emails every week that are going on and people are saying, well, these books have been here forever. Should we have a conversation about it? How do we educate ourselves about that? And yet, if we want our communities to participate, the only avenue that a lot of them have is to go to a monthly school board meeting where they might get one minute in public comment and you say, wow, that parent better be very vigilant because otherwise we're kind of telling them, eh, we want you here, but we don't want you here. And it feels like we might be missing an opportunity to grow into what might be this next version of education that can we can really all prosper from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, part of that is, at least for Arkansas, maybe in other states, when we had school board elections, the school board elections were the the, the forgotten races, if you will, because <laughs> not anymore. They, they were not anymore. They were in September. You know, that's when the uh, the traditional school election, the school millages, all those things took place. And uh, over time, it's like, wait a minute, these are no less important than our presidential elections. We should align these with when everyone else gets out to out to vote. So you've seen a, an increase in voter participation at the voting box. Now you're seeing an increase in participation at at the public forums. And and again, back to that frustration, you have to have rules. You have to have a, an organized way to receive public comment. But it's also frustrating to a member of the public to say, oh, you only you only give me one minute. You only <laughs> give me three minutes. We have to find obviously you can't have. And I've been to some of those meetings. I've been to some of those meetings where there were no limits and it's it's those meetings aren't productive either no. and no one feels they, the they lack decorum don't they they don't feel any better when they leave those mm -hmm. meetings uh, so nothing has been solved i think part of the professional learning is that superintendents and board members uh, you know the or their organizations need to help them understand the new expectations and i see a move toward toward that happening i see the uh, the school boards associations are engaging more and because they are having to grow, they are, they are having to learn what do our members need to be successful. Uh, I don't think we'll ever go back to the way it was uh, just a few years ago where those are the forgotten races. Those are the forgotten meetings. Um, but our question before us is, do we make uh, the choice to have that be a productive interaction. Um, the book, and it's a lot of times it's the language that we use. You know, when we say book banning, you know, when you when you peel back the layer, wait a minute, it's not, we're not banning this book. It's, we wanna make sure that it's available for the, the right age. You know, this may be a book that's in a middle school library, but yeah, it, it might be more age appropriate to be in the high school library. Um, to me, I don't see that as book banning. I see that as uh, putting in place common sense uh, uh, rules, regulations. Uh, so, the, and then if a parent is like, okay, my sixth grader would be okay to read that book. Well, then that parent can have access to that book, but it's just not there. I mean, our kids need to have guidance. They always, I needed guidance when I was in, in school. You needed guidance. I still need it, Johnny. <laughs> I remember pulling some books off the shelf and in, th in my middle school library, thumbing through those and getting embarrassed and closing them, put them back, said, oh my goodness, if my mom knew that, <laughs> that, that I would book, be in yeah. trouble. 
Well, I didn't say it because I I didn't want to be in trouble for for reading what was in that book. Uh, so I, I think conversation has got to take place. We we have to be ready to engage thoughtfully with each other. Um, but that means we might have to engage um, first. The engagement might be a little loud, uh, might be a little rambunctious. Um, but uh, just to, and I know superintendents are struggling right now. Uh, I've been reading articles about the number of superintendents that, that are retiring or, or leaving, moving, you know, changing professions. Uh, the teachers, you know, that's been that way for several years now. Uh, at some point, uh, you know, the the preparation for how to be a superintendent, how to be a teacher, you know, it does has to take into account. Um, here's here's how we positively engage with parents. Parents on the uh, likewise need to understand how do I positively engage with the educators that we trust with uh, producing outcomes for kids. I'm glad you brought that up about sort of the, the vacuum of talent. And, you know, we had that here in our local level. Principal left, multiple teachers in a grade just started peeling away. Uh, before you left the state level, um, talk with me a little bit about or just share some of the conversation, maybe even with your colleagues in other states, because it does feel like it. it's like, oh, do we have a marketing problem? Like, where do we have to think about the next generation of those in the classroom, those that are leading our buildings and our districts, because if we can't make this appealing on some level, it feels like we're heading towards a cliff that's pretty dangerous. And unless we just care about our kids and the grade that they're in and at that level, well, we do have a community issue. Oh, absolutely. And we've seen it for a number of years in uh, in the Mississippi Delta. You know, you, you think about rural schools especially coming down uh, through Illinois, Mississippi, uh, Missouri, Arkansas, Tennessee, all the way down uh, you know to Louisiana uh, and, and other parts. It's not just a regional. It's not geographic. I mean that I started seeing it first there, but you know, as, as I said, as I talked to my colleagues around the other states, it's happening there. Um, the it's a community problem in many respects. It's not just a, a teacher supply problem. You know, we have people who where communities are are withering on the vine. So there's nothing attractive in those communities for people to go uh, and become a teacher. Or it's not attractive for young people to live there, raise there and stay there to be a teacher. So it's not just salary. Is salary part of it? Yes, part of it. It's not uh, just the benefits. Are they part of the equation? Yes, they are part of the equation. Um, but there is that that uh, you know that that living experience that people want. They want vibrant living experiences that they may not be able to get in Mariana, Arkansas. Um, they may you know. I, how do we solve those problems? It's not going to be a a national solution. It's really going to be a series of local solutions that then uh, can be uh, assimilated or, or, or simulated, I should say, at, at, at other communities that where they're facing the same thing. We put Band-Aids on it for a long time. Uh, Teach for America, great, great organization. We had a lot of Teach for America uh, teachers that came into Arkansas 
Um, they did great work. That was not a permanent solution because, you know, they would come and they would do their work. But then obviously, you know, very few of them were going to stay uh, in some of these struggling areas. Uh, they never should have been expected to. But we put a lot of uh, of, of our confidence that that was going to be the solution. Turns out that it, it, it was a Band-Aid approach. So how do we do this? I think we have to get economic developers. We have to, at the state level, at the regional level, we have to get people who are engaged in economic development to realize that uh, it, you know, it's not education that needs to uh, grow as a result of economic development. It's economic development that's going to grow as a result of education. And before you recruit that that next big plant, uh, that next big manufacturing company, that next big thing to, to locate in your area, you really need to be engaged in uh, conversations of what will be attractive to the education world. Is it naturally unattractive for a young person, Johnny, to think about a career? It's one of the only ones out there now where it's it's like this 30-year career path. We just assume. I mean, what other career does a young person say, well, I'm going to have to be in that for the next 25 to 30 years? It feels like if we could sort of go up one level and say, why would it be wrong for a teacher to come in and teach for five years and then spend the next three in the private sector and then come back? It feels like there would be incredible benefit, not only for that individual, but also for the students that they would be teaching and the community at large. Yeah, no, I, I think there's merit in that. Uh, look at, think about all the things we've created around this, this model, you know, the, of, of teaching. You teach for 28 years, you're eligible for retirement. So at the age of 50, thereabouts, you can have your years in, uh, you can retire, and then you can go on and have a second career. Well, that's not our society today. It's no. it's five years and maybe, and then looking at what are my next career options. And, you know, teachers make some of the best uh, second career professionals. You know, they, they're fantastic. But also you've got some professionals who make fantastic teachers. And so that I look at it as, uh, like education is is like a freeway where there are many on-ramps and off-ramps. And it's not just the educational experience for getting my education personally. You shouldn't be stuck on a toll road, right? Where you can't get off. Yeah. Or, or you know, some, uh, uh, you know, some devious uh, uh, loop that just goes round and round and round <laughs> and there's never any, any way to get off of it. Um so we do need to rethink that. And we need to rethink because our traditional, our, our retirement system is is geared toward uh, that in the States for that career teacher. Uh, our educator preparation programs are geared toward preparing those career teachers. There are other ways we can do this. And I think the expectations of those 28-year teachers, you're going to see fewer and fewer and fewer of those. And it, should that pathway be there? Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if you want to make that a career, um, but if you want to make it a career of, hey, I'm going to do this for five years, I'm going to see what else is out there, have the door open to be able to come back. Make it easy. Make those transitions easy. And right now, those transitions aren't easy. Let, let's... Um... 
as we put a little bit of a wrapper on the conversation, let's port over to the provider side um, and the challenges that vendors have. I know a lot of them don't even like to be called vendors in this way, but you know, historically the challenge, if you had an idea, right, Johnny, you and I have an idea for a, a company, maybe it's an ed tech company, is one, are there legacy systems in play already that we'd have to battle? Two, what kind of runway do we have from a funding perspective? And given the long sales cycle in education historically, can we afford to play that long game? Because if not, <laughs> I don't know, our spouses might lock the doors. We might be turning to a different profession. Um, where are we right now when it comes to sort of the vendor community and the way in which we can help to support them? Because at the end of the day, we do need them. <laughs> They're providing fantastic solutions and opportunities for us to compete globally. And so this shouldn't just be an economic discussion. I think it's also about a relationship and a community of people that are contributing greatly to education writ large. Well, I think, and that's one of the components of Stratagos that I love is that, you know, everyone says they have data. What are you doing with it? You know, and, and that's where I think the vendor community, uh, they're they're really focused on the what they do. And it's very difficult sometimes to look out at uh, what is the market telling me? I have a great idea. Great ideas haven't always made it to market, you know, and that's the beauty of of what's out there now is, you know, especially our our firm can help them read what that what that market data is saying and develop a strategy. If you just go out with an idea, uh, a product, uh, uh, a new software, and I think you saw that during COVID. I mean, we, we saw people who had great ideas and you just could not bring it to scale, either at a state level or even at a district level. Uh, because your your infrastructure wasn't what it needed to be, your strategy wasn't what it needed to be, and uh, but also see organizations that did have strong strategies, did understand what their data was, and and they're thriving today, even as um, you know the the COVID dollars, the federal dollars, state dollars that that came pouring into education, as that's starting to. Uh, dry up a little bit over the next year and a half, two years. Those those organizations, those those great ideas, people that are out there, that if they had a good strategy, they're going to be able to survive when that money is no longer there, because they will have proven they have a better uh, better process, they have a better product, they have a better system. Um, but it's really about that that strategy and and, and understanding that data. Um, and, and then also understanding the relationships. Hey, everything that ever gets done that is of of longevity and of value happens because somebody has uh, developed a strong relationship. And you know, I tried to uh, help as, as I was raised. I've got two kids and raising my kids, and you know, they they sometimes that came across in the public. Uh, conversation as, you know, our relationships, that just means it's who you know. Well, I, you know, with a sneer on their face, you know, it's yeah. like, dad, you know, it's just they're, they're successful because that, you know, they knew somebody. I like to say it is like they're successful with a smile on my face because they knew somebody. They, they had relationships that helped them understand this is how you present to 
a state superintendent. This is how you present to a local superintendent because you need to understand their needs through relationships is how we as human beings understand each other's needs. If we don't have relationships, how do we meet each other's needs? It just can't happen. So I think those are the, the, the main points that I would just say for moving forward, uh, how, how vendors, how suppliers, how uh, others in this space uh, will be successful. Well, it's been great to spend some time and to get to know you a little bit, Johnny. I think uh, what an infusion of talent and power that you bring to Strategus from the state and local levels that is incredibly important during a very challenging time that lends itself to opportunity, right? It's sort of after the forest fire, you start to see, you know, this amazing growth. And and I think we've got an opportunity with great leadership, great voices and great experience. And you bring that in spades. So again, congratulations on your post at Strategus Group. And it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. I'm your host. Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.